Today's episode of the Guru Presario podcast is sponsored by the Law Offices of George Salinas. The Law Offices of George Salinas is an award-winning personal injury law firm based in San Antonio, Texas. George Salinas has been recognized as a Texas super lawyer, which is limited to the top 5% attorneys in the state. The firm was also recognized for a top 10 verdict in Texas and top 100 verdict in the U.S. in 2020. To learn more, Give them a call at 210-225-0909 or visit them at salinastriallaw.com. The following contains adult language, content, and descriptions of actions not suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. Guru Presario Media presents the Guru Presario Podcast, starring me, Mal Sanchez. The word entrepreneur gets thrown around a lot, but it's defined by very few. Join me as I sit down with those that I've come to know, and through the art of conversation, we can all learn a little something from the nature of our work. Let's start the show. All right, you guys. Um, what episode is this, Oz? 25, episode 25 of the Guru Presario podcast. Again, I'm here with my ho- my co-host, Matthew Duke of the Duke Law Firm, um, and new friend, uh, George Salinas of the uh, Law Office of George Salinas, right? Yeah, that, that's it. George, we're, uh, we're happy to have you. I'm going to give you a brief moment, as I always do, to introduce yourself and your firm and kind of uh, what, where your practice lies here in 2021. Sure. Oh, thank you. We are a... Uh Personal injury law firm been around. Actually, this is our our tenth year uh, anniversary uh, as we speak uh, this summer. So pretty excited about that. We're based out of San Antonio. Uh, we work uh, all over the state of Texas, but uh, the focus of our practice is San Antonio. We have offices in in Austin. Uh, we have an office in Dallas, but uh, San Antonio is home. And uh, you know, looking to expand and grow as we we move forward. But uh, we've got about uh, twenty twenty five uh, folks on our team. Here in San Antonio, so we've grown over the years. Uh, pretty proud of that, and uh, you know, done some great stuff here locally. Good deal, man. Good deal. What uh, what type of practice do you run? So we are one hundred percent personal injury. Uh, you know, I graduated from law school in two thousand five. Started out uh, one year with a defense firm uh, defending these types of cases, and got hired on by a, a firm that was on the other side of a case. So uh, you know, I started doing PI plaintiff work in 2006, right away out of law school. And uh, I've been doing that ever since. It's, it's truly what I feel is my, my calling, my passion, my joy, and uh, what drives me. It's a little different than your firm, right, Matt? Yeah, we're, we just do business <laughs> transactional stuff. Um, but what kind of mix do you do as far as, I mean, personal injury? Are you auto? Are you workers comp? I mean, where, where do you guys do that mix on the personal injury side? Sure. Good question. Um, we do. So first of all, with, with personal injury, we, we take all types of personal injury. The only two types of personal injury that uh, because of the laws and, and tort reform that's happened over the course of the last 20, 30 years in Texas, uh, med- uh, medical malpractice, we don't do. And uh, workers comp. Okay. Workers comp's its own animal, its own separate body of law. Uh, I, I could talk forever about why it's uh, jacked up and needs to be reformed. <laughs> but the bottom line is not a lot of lawyers do workers' comp anymore. Uh, there are some that do it. They do it in volume. 
Uh, when we do get workers' comp cases, sometimes we will, uh, what we'll do is we'll refer them to a firm that's still doing workers' comp. Sure. There are times where workers' comp cases actually, um, <clears throat> there's an injury that occurs uh, on the job. The employer has workers' comp, but a third party's uh, involved. Right. And so we do take those cases. Uh, okay. As far as the mix goes, I'd say for generally speaking, 60, 70% probably motor vehicle crashes. Okay. Another twenty percent uh, tractor trailer crashes, okay. uh, and then you know the rest is a combination of work injuries and premises liability cases, and then okay. various other mixes of personal injury. As you know, I mean, there can people get injured a lot of different ways. They do, and uh, what we do is when they come in the door uh, or when they call, you know, regardless of the setting, we look at it to see if it's a viable tort case. Okay, uh, but yeah, the great majority of those cases, uh, most folks uh, who've been injured before. Uh, involving the negligence of another individual are going to be motor vehicle crashes. Got it. Now, did you go into law school thinking this is what you wanted to do? I, get, I went into law school knowing that I wanted to be a trial lawyer. Okay. And I, I didn't know. Where'd you go to law school? UT. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I knew I wanted to be in the courtroom. Yep. I wanted to be uh, practicing in front of a jury, a judge, representing a client in the courtroom as opposed to more of a transactional setting, right? Sitting at a computer all day long, typing and typing and typing. Yep, that's what we do. <laughs> but hey, you know, it's 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 something that I'm I'm not I'm not good at. It takes you know, no matter what you do, it like it takes a special yeah, exactly uh, a talent. It's whatever your calling is, right? And uh, so a lot of the folks that I know on the transactional side, they don't want to be in a courtroom, you right. know. And right. and you ask us in the litigation side, we don't want to be. I mean, we're more and more these days. The nature of litigation is less and less courtroom stuff right. and more and more sitting behind a computer and typing and being on the phone all the time. Right. So, it, it, you know, we do a lot of that too. Well, it's funny. I've never met a, a litigator that um, wasn't intentional about being a litigator. Uh, I've met a lot of lawyers, including myself. I was an accidental lawyer. Um, and so ended up as a trans, you know, as a transactional lawyer, but I've, every single litigator I've ever met went to law school saying I'm going in the courtroom. <laughs> Every single one of them. So I had to ask. Yeah, no, it's a fair question. I, I think uh, my calling, so to speak, as far as wanting to be a lawyer, like when, when was that moment that you knew you wanted to be a lawyer and you wanted to be specifically a trial lawyer? Right. And I would say that was my uh, the OJ trial. <laughs> I was but about I, to ask you, yeah. was it a book or was it a public event that got you into it? Okay, it, it, it was, was OJ. OJ trial. So so funny story, <laughs> I, I was, uh, uh, you know, I, I started... I think it was in 94 that that happened because we had just moved from my hometown of Del Rio to Waco for one year. And I didn't, I didn't know anybody. I mean, I, you know, I, I didn't have any friends and I had really nothing to do after school other than run home and just watch the OJ trial. So I kind of, <laughs> uh, you know, it kind of uh, fortuitous way that happened. And I got into it and into it and into it. And, and sooner, you know, it's, it's, you know, there was a point in time when you know, I started critiquing and I started, you know, I sounded like a crazy person probably because I was <laughs> delivering cross-examination questions and, and I was like, it hooked me at that point. Wow. I got hooked. And, um, you know, it, it's, later on, uh, this was probably about four or five years ago, I actually got to sit down and have lunch with F. Lee Bailey, who's one of the lead attorneys on that case. Wow. Uh, I took him to, uh, took him to a restaurant here in San Antonio, meet us all. We had a few chispas and nice. well, I had more than a few. And uh, I just got to talk to him for like three or four hours. And awesome. it was such a such a cool experience for me because, um, you know, uh, someone like that, you know, was a legend or is a legend. Was, well, he passed away recently. Mm-hmm. May he rest in peace. But, uh, you know, he had some ups and downs uh, after that trial. And uh, but, but the bottom line is, like, watching him and, and some of the other lawyers in that case really inspired me. And 
I joined the debate team and uh, started doing mock trial, and that kind of set the path forward. Wow. It's intense, man. There's other experiences that happened after uh, college. Yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, so, you know, I, um, after, I mean, when I was in college, I kind of knew that it was, the plan was go to law school, right? right. And so uh, I applied my uh, senior year in, in, in college and, uh, it, you know, got into UT and uh, moved, I went to St. Mary's here locally for my undergraduate, right. um, moved, uh, moved to Austin and, uh, you know, that was, uh, that was a great experience. You know, it was, it was a different, it was different for me in a lot of ways because, you know, going to law school at UT, you were in a, it was a whole different experience than I had had, pr- uh, you know, previously in St. Mary's. St. Mary's is a great experience. Um, there were, there were a lot of folks that were from San Antonio that went to St. Mary's. And so, you know, um, I really, you know, I felt like that really helped uh, tie my ties to the, or, or bring my ties to this community stronger because, you know, I eventually moved back, obviously. Right. Austin was, was different because it was, it was my first time really being in an environment where you had people from all across the country who have gone to school all across the country come together from all types of different backgrounds. And, um, you know, that was a challenging experience for me at first. It was a really very much a, a wake-up call to me because I think that I had gotten sort of um, – I had, I had excelled and had done well, and I had – you know, I, I worked full-time since I was like 16 – and so I was able to manage all of those things and, and do pretty well at them. And when, when I got into law school, the first thing they'll tell you is, well, you can't work. And I thought, well, I, I can work. Like, I've done it since I was 16 and, and working, you know, working at, you know, going to school at 8 a.m., getting out at 3.30, and then going to work at Blockbuster from 4 p.m. to midnight. And, you know, I can do that. I, I'm pretty sure I can pull this law school thing off. But um, so I didn't get a job because you're not allowed to. But right away, I think it was uh, when I saw the caliber of students, right, and and the the difficulty uh, and and the challenge with some of what they were asking of us. Um, it was a wake up call. That first semester rolled by. I was you know I was used to I think before that being able to sail to the top of my class pretty easily, and. Uh, found myself in the middle and I wasn't, I, that wasn't a, a, a position I w- was used to putting or finding myself. And so I had to, you know, it was, it was a good, it was a good wake up call though. It was right. a good wake up call, but I did go, uh, I, I eventually did get to work, uh, later on in law school, uh, in the Capitol actually. And that was a, a learning, a great learning experience for me. Nice. And people you may not realize, I mean, <clears throat> UT is one of the top 10 law schools and has been for, I mean, Ever. I don't think it's ever slipped out of the top 10, has it? I don't think so. No. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, it, it, it's the big time. Um, and in law schools, I mean, there's not too, there's a finite amount, although they continue to grow. You've got top tier, you know, top 10%, top tier, and then second and third tier. I mean, and again, UT, it, it's the cream of the crop. So right. yeah, no, it was, I can imagine. Yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was a good experience because, I mean, the professors were, you know, were phenomenal. Uh, the people that I went to law school to with, I, I think it was, um, it was pretty neat to see these folks whose, a lot of them whose parents were, you know, uh, family to, you know, famous folks or politicians and yeah. stuff like that, you know? Right. And so, uh, it was pretty cool from a networking standpoint. Um, and I met some, you know, uh, lifelong friends in, in, in law school, you know, it was great. And, uh, I think, with, with UT, um, they do a really good job of diversifying the backgrounds on, on so many different levels, right? So, 
um, you know, I think, uh, you know, it was, it was definitely that in St. Mary's. I mean, I can't sit here and say that, you know, one experience is, I think the word is better is not, doesn't really apply. They're just very different experiences mm-hmm. and they're both of them still, you know, very important to me. Where did you go to law school? Alabama. Alabama. Okay. Yeah. Undergrad too? Uh, no, I went to Incarnate Word. Okay. So we've got a little bit, um, you know, parallel paths and the fact that, you know, small community grew up here, stayed basically at home, although I didn't live at home to do that. And then um, went to get an MBA at Alabama and ended up going to law school accidentally. Accidentally. Um, which was great. Top tier law school. It's in the top 20, not the top 10. But, um, you know, same sort of, you know, interesting experience for me. I, I did pretty easy. School was like, eh, all right. You know, didn't have to work hard. Law school, very different, right? right. Everybody's hungry. I mean, it's all about rankings and, you know, everybody. So, you know, eye-opening experience. Yeah, super competitive environment, eye-opening. right? Eye-opening, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know. I know some law schools are, are more cutthroat than others. I, I don't think UT has a has a reputation for being cutthroat in the sense of they don't do the bell curve and the cutoff and all that. Yeah, they're uh, nice to y'all like that. No, they did that at Alabama. I mean, they literally <laughs> tied you up one through you know 150, and you saw exactly what number you were. Wow! Every wow. single semester. Speaking of competitive, <laughs> man, there's a uh, there's a lot of personal injury attorneys here in town. What do you guys to What do you guys do to remain competitive or I guess, add value to those who hire you? That's a great question. Um, you, you're right. I mean, this is actually one of the most, uh, believe it or not, competitive markets in the country. Country, not, not Texas, country when it comes to personal injury. Uh, I work with uh, several different companies when it comes to my marketing. And, uh, you know, when uh, there was a company that uh, I was talking to, one of the newer uh, companies that I'm working with on the digital side, and... Um, I, w- I was talking to them about, you know, expansion in other markets. And, and the comment to me was, if you can carve out a space in San Antonio like you have, you can carve out a space anywhere in the country. Oh, yeah. Um, San Antonio is one of the most competitive markets in the state, and Texas is one of the most competitive markets in the country when it comes to personal injury. Um, you know, I and we, you know, I probably don't have enough time to go into the dynamics of why that is, but the, the point is it's saturated. Uh, there's a lot of folks out here, so how do we diversify? Right. I, the answer to that question now is different than it was probably 10 years ago for me because, uh, you know, when I started my practice out, I didn't really, I didn't have um, a, a bankroll to rely on to start marketing my firm. Um, and so I had to get cases any way that I could uh, as far as referrals from other lawyers. And we still rely on that. Uh, even though we market, uh, to the, you know, to the general public, uh, attorney referrals are, are a huge component of uh, our docket still. Even some of our best cases have come, come from that. But uh, so when I started out, it was, it was providing that um, quality to, to each case to where a referring attorney knew that if they sent me a case, and they know if they send me a case, uh, whether it's me or any of my team members, we're going to take care of that client, right? And, and that involves, uh, you know, when you're talking about personal injury cases, it doesn't involve, I mean, yes, the, the, the final result's a huge component of that. But I think so much of a personal injury case is, involves the, uh, the experience for the client, involves the journey. And in certain parts of that journey uh, where they feel like they're being taken care of, they feel like they're being listened to, Right. And they feel like they are being explained and, and, and that there's transparency there on the part of the law firm and the lawyer. And I think knowing that, focusing on that, and being able to do that for, for folks, I started getting more and more referrals. And I started getting clients who were referring cases to former clients, referring 
more clients to me. You know, you fast forward five years later and all of a sudden, you know, I, I reinvesting into my business and we're able to do that and start marketing. And it took, it took a while and still, it's still a work in progress for that to expand, but we haven't lost that belief, those core values, right? Those, those things that make, make us different. And I'm not saying that there aren't other firms that believe the same thing or other lawyers that do the same thing. Um, but we really focus on that. And I think, uh, you know, you can uh, lose, uh, I, w- I was having lunch with a, a business owner last week and we were exchanging just sort of um, philosophies about business and things like that. And he, he shared with me a quote that I hadn't heard before, but I thought it was, it's true is that when you lose, when you gain breath, you sometimes lose depth. And, and that's true. That's a challenge as a business. When you grow, when you expand, um, are you losing that depth? And so I've been obsessed with not losing our depth. And I think that uh, so much of, of being able to, to, to continue that uh, has been not anything to credit myself with, but the people that are on my team who we've brought in, right? And, and I mean, I, I think so much of our success most of our success, maybe all of our success, is, is some of what I've done, but it's, it's people who, um, who are part of my team and what they've done, right? You're, you're only as successful as the people on your team, right? Talk a little bit more about, I mean, we are our attorney and counselors. Some people use that, right? The emotional impact of personal injury, it's a lot. Uh, I mean, I don't do it, but I've got friends that do it. I've got a just, you know, general awareness. But, I mean, you're talking to people that don't understand the court process and have had a trauma. Um, they've had a traumatic event, right? An auto crash, um, uh, you know, they've slipped and fall, you know, and medical bills and their whole world is different. How have you adapted to that? I mean, cause law school doesn't prepare you for law anyway, but how, how have you adapted on that journey to deal with people on their emotional journey? Cause you're really the symbol for them of getting through that journey, right? My lawyer is going to take care of this. Oh, I have a lawyer. They're taking care of this. Talk a little bit more about the emotional part of it. Sure. I, I think you're exactly right. Law school doesn't prepare you for that aspect. I mean, there's a lot law school doesn't prepare you for from you know, the business operations, <laughs> right. Uh, to, uh, to sort of, I guess we call more of an emotional intelligence, right? Um, empathy, compassion, mm-hmm. uh, those sorts of things. Um, either you have it or you don't in some cases, right? And, 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 and I'm not saying that um, you can't get better at it if you have it. Um, but when I'm, when I'm hiring people, that's what I'm looking for, depending on the role that I'm asked, I'm hiring for is that empathy. And yeah, when, when, when folks, and you know, it's interesting because in, in dealing with my field, you, you deal with the whole range of loss. Uh, I mean, from, yeah, you, you know, your, your standard uh, motor vehicle crashes, someone all of a sudden um, has an issue with their, you know, uh, their, their health is their spine, their neck, their back. Mm-hmm. And they, it's always interesting when, when people, uh, in talking to people and, and people that I've, I've had a chance to really connect with, they, they always say, I never thought I would be doing something like this, right? They were always the type, like, I... I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I'm against these types of cases, but it happened to me and I realized this shouldn't have happened and how, how much it's affecting my life, mm-hmm. you know, and not just aches and pains, but what you can do in life, what you can, um, the, th- the activities that you can participate in, hobbies, family. Uh, I mean, it spills over into so many different things. And so 
I think, you know, yeah, it's an emotional journey for people. It's an emotional journey and it doesn't help when the system, right? The system that we have, insurance companies, um, it, 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 they're businesses. Right. They're not set up, uh, they're not nonprofits, right? right? They're not there to truly, their objective isn't, let me see how I can make this person whole. They're, how, what is the least amount of money that I can pay, if anything, to get this person to sign a release and I never have to answer this again, right? right? And, and, and so it's, it's set up that way. And then if, if, you know, when we file a lawsuit, which happens quite a bit because we don't come to terms with the insurance company, the journey through the court system for anyone that's been through it, know that uh, it takes a long time to get to that, to that final or to that final place where you can, you can get your damages heard in front of a jury, you know? And so, you know, I think what one thing we like to do in my office to make sure that folks are, are, you know, obviously know what's going on, but know what to expect. Right. right? And so we don't take a case in my office unless we're willing to to take that journey from A to Z. You know, if we can, if we can resolve it without having to, to file a lawsuit one day, then so be it. Great. Right. But we, we prepare folks for the journey and, and if it can be resolved, uh, earlier than than uh, than if we had to file a lawsuit, then, then that's great. That's great for everybody. Right. But if it if it's not, then we have to be willing to take the next step. And so, um, yeah, it's an emotional journey. And you know what I was saying earlier is the the, the, the full spectrum and stuff. Um, you know, I think I think what's helped me personally, right, uh, has been having a family now, yeah. and and like uh, you know having little kids and. Um, and understanding uh, how uh, how important my role as a father is, and, and being able to interact with them, uh, you know, in, in, on many different levels, you know, having them play play around with them, jumping on jumping with them, doing doing those things, and so, you know, I think uh, you know I've had a lot of ca- I've had quite a few cases where we've dealt with the, the uh, fatalities, unfortunately, and um, it just especially when that person was a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, man, that's tough. Yeah. It's tough. So uh, as a father, just like watch, and it, you know, it's, it's, it's really difficult. And so, um, you know, I think uh, it's not, it's hard, you know, how do you compensate someone for not having uh, a mother or father for the rest of their life? Yeah. How do you do that? You know, and having to sit down with a family and talk about the loss. And um, it's, it's an emotional process. I mean, I know they, you know, you, you as a lawyer, you've got to be able to put emotion on the side, which is so true. But at the same time, I think you have to be able to connect with your clients at, the, at an emotional level to understand and explain ultimately to a jury, right? Right. Right. Why? They should do what you're asking them to do, you know. And um, you know, before the pandemic hit, um, I went. I probably had my longest jury trial, which was three weeks. And uh, luckily, we finished it up before the pandemic hit because we would have would have not been fun to have to have start over in the middle of it. Um, and um, you know, I think for me, just um, that was the first time where I really feel feel like I argued that case from a place where. I, I mean, I fully understood what my client 
was what he had lost. The pain and, and suffering. The pain and suffering, right? right? And um, and I and I could be his his mouthpiece, um, and we got a great result. And I think the jurors appreciated the level of sincerity and authenticity um, that I had, and I credit that to my life experiences, right? And, and, and being able to use that to, to help me be a better lawyer. Right. I think that's huge, man. I, um, specifically, I've, I won't go too deep into it, but I have a, I have a little, I had a little cousin who died in a car accident. And I look back at kind of the trial process because of course the verdict, the verdict I don't think was delivered in their favor as much as it should have been. And I look back and I'm, and I just think, and I was, and I guess I was too young to understand what these attorneys we're doing for my family, but I'm like, was that the missing factor is that they could not build empathy and they couldn't deliver the story to the jury at that moment. And then, you know, that was ultimately maybe the failure. Right. But, um, I think that's big, man. That's, that's huge that you say that. And I think it's, uh, it's important. I think for anyone looking for an attorney, when it comes to something like that a traumatic event, to uh, finding someone that they could connect with and that could deliver that empathy. Yeah. How, how do you, you know, it's funny. We were, Mal had a great um, a marketing event with people from all sorts of different industries to talk about marketing challenges. And somebody made the comment to me that as a lawyer, I needed to get like a hammer or something. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not that kind of lawyer, but you are. So how do you, you know, from a challenge of connecting with a potential client, right? You do have the knuckleheads that are, you know, holding hammers and jumping on vehicles, acting like they're going to, you know, it's ridiculousness versus what you really need, right? Are these people like you that connect, that deliver not a hammer, but the story and present the case and connect and, you know, get the right, uh, a fair judgment for, for whatever it is, which is very different, right? Somebody can act like they're swinging a hammer and they're going to do nothing. In fact, they'll mess it up potentially because they don't connect. It's all about them and not about the, the client. How do you get through all of that kind of noise that's out there to connect with potential uh, clients and to make sure that people understand you? Well, I think, um, well, first I, I think there are, I mean, there's, there's some folks out there that do, uh, marketing in, in, in ways that not my style. And I don't have actually, actually, I, I think it's, it's fine for me. Like I, I don't have anything like, uh, Jim Adler, the, the hammer guy. I mean, that, it's funny to me and it's, and you know, and he's actually pretty, I've heard him speak at a, a podcast and he was a really nice guy, but yeah, the, 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 but the tough part about it for, for yeah. us the, of, of those of, of marketing like that. Yeah. Um, I don't see it as a threat to me as a business sure. so much as I, we sometimes have to deal with the perceptions of jurors of who we are right. as lawyers, right? Yep. So, you know, um, I, I think that folks, and, and, and to be, I mean, I, I, to be fair, like, you know, if I wasn't doing what I do, I probably would think the same thing, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. like, are you're, you know, you're, you're one of those guys, you know? Right. And I think, so that's where the challenge of, of marketing is that there's different styles of marketing. And for me, uh, you know, cause don't get me wrong. I've talked to more than one uh, advertising agency. That's like, you're wasting your money because you're not doing anything that people necessarily are going to remember at the time of the accident. The they're going to remember the hammer, right? Exactly. The Texas hammer remembers. And that's when they make their decision point. Right. Exactly. I but I, I was, uh, you know, either wise or foolish enough not to follow that advice when I got it. 
And I just thought, well, you know what? If I just keep investing and building my brand, um, as opposed to a jingle or a, uh, anything like that, just being authentic, brand, I think more a, than anything. Yeah, for sure. If, if I keep doing that, it'll it'll eventually it'll eventually work out, right? And and it requires a lot of patience, mm-hmm. um, but it's it really is it's a journey. It's the macro, not the micro, right? And so uh, it was tough for I, I, for a couple of years when I started marketing. Um, I, I think I started marketing in 2017 as far as like billboards, okay, and buses and things like that. Um, man, you know, you're, you're, you're sending a lot of money out the door and, and, and it's, it's, uh, you know, investing in yourself and investing in your business in, in my view was, was never a question, but it's in how I'm, how am I going to do it? Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, I think though that now we're in a place where I've been doing it long enough and, uh, have been able to touch enough people. When I say touch, I mean, you know, represent and and interact with uh in the community that when you know the folks understand who we are and what we're about right and so uh you know i don't know there's you know it's a conversation that i've 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 continued to have with with people and just i enjoy the the business side of it and the marketing side of it right but uh you know uh to whatever extent um i think i think marketing is just such a in my opinion, multifaceted approach, right? And it's not just the billboards help, the the buses help, the radio helps, but so does who you are in the community, right? And um, San Antonio is a, uh, a big, small town, right? <laughs> and so word gets around. And if you're not treating people right, if you're not doing good work, if you're not, um, you know, if you're not standing behind your name and the promises that you make, it's just a matter of time you know, before people find out who that is. So, um, you know, and that's, that's, I, I don't know if that completely answers no, your does. question, but I just, it's hard for me to say it's a challenge though. Yeah. Cause like, yeah, we're, we're, I, I, I don't know the metrics, but, um, the, the Martin number of firms right now that are advertising in San Antonio per capita is higher than probably any other market in the U S maybe except for Miami. Wow. Yeah. I believe that. Uh, I want I want to dive into specifically trial cases versus settlements, man. Um, we see this a lot, right? We see we see attorneys steer their clients towards a settlement opposed to going to a trial. And I know you mentioned earlier, right? If you're going to take a client, you're going to take them from A to Z, and if it takes a lawsuit, at the end of the day, you're going to file that lawsuit. But what are some of the factors that you take into account, man? Looking into that, or just maybe guide us through the process of that. Sure. So you know, one of the trends that's been playing out for the last uh, probably 30 years, even before I was a lawyer, is that you've got fewer and fewer cases going to trial, okay? Part of that is by design. You know, our, our courts are, not our courts, but our, our, you know, our system, legislative and judicial, actually, has been uh, set up to encourage out-of-court settlements more and more and more, right? And, and part of that is is a function of also the expense that it takes to get the trial. You know, do you are, you know, in, in some cases, can you spend a dollar to get a nickel? You know, mm-hmm. uh, the, the question that has to be asked, I mean, there, there's so many different fact patterns to determine whether a case, you know, is better for settlement and, and or, or go to trial. But what it boils down to is simply what is best for the client, right? And the answer to that question isn't always the same when it comes to 
settling out of court or going to trial. I always tell clients that the best thing they can, in a mediation where, where a lot of cases tend to settle, because before cases can go to trial, I was talking about some of the changes in our rules. Before cases can go to trial, you're required to go to mediation. You're, you're required to go to mediation. It doesn't mean that the, the parties want to settle the case, but it right. means it's required. And a lot of times when you force people to the table, you know, the, 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 case, the case can get resolved or, or sometimes sh- uh, soon thereafter. I always tell clients the best, the, the best thing they can do, not the best, but the easiest thing they can make it for us is easy to walk away, right? And we have those cases where they make it easy to walk away by not offering uh, within the range of what should be compensation for the case. And you, you've got to be able to analyze uh, the case from a liability standpoint and then from a damages standpoint, you know, and, and um, you know, that's, that's definitely, um, you know, a, a situation where uh, the answer isn't always the same. You know, uh, there are cases and, and where, you know, we get good value without having to go to court. And, and then the way that we get it in litigation is because they know we will go to court, right? If they, if, if you know, if the other side thinks that, uh, you know, you're a lawyer or a law firm that uh, would not try the case, then, you know, you'll see that reflected in what's being offered. So, right. So speak a little bit more about, so again, we've already established, I don't, I don't do um, litigation, but I negotiate for a living. I mean, that's what, you know, transactional attorneys, that's one good thing that we get to do is we're doing deals all the time, right? Um, Being in the market that I'm in now with micro to small business owners, very new to, you know, negotiation versus the other clients I've got, sophistication, that's what they're used to doing, those business transactions. For you, I would gather a lot of your clients don't understand the negotiation process, you know, in a mediation or even in a settlement situation, what are some tips and tricks you've uh, looked at to help people understand this complex negotiation? Because on my end, I've got uh, clients that are like, well, the contract says, you know, that they're going to do it, you know, and we both know efficient breach theory, right? I mean, as much as we'd love everybody to say a contract is going to be there, they're not. And so you have to walk through, well, you know, you can go to court and this is what it's going to cost you to go try to get it. And you're, again, you may be paying a dollar to get a nickel, even at the for final jury. How do you walk a client through a very complex economic legal process to help them understand that the ad they saw, right? Because a lot of this is consumerism of millions of dollars because you get into a car accident is not necessarily their situation today. What are some of the things you do to help people understand their situation? Sure. So, um, you know, first, I think in, in, in terms of negotiation, you're right. It's not a, it's not a, uh, you know, a, a black and white con- contractual deal. If it were, it would throw us out of the mix, you right? If there was, a, yeah, you know, be like workers' comp. You That's know? right. And so, um, I think being able to explain to them the the time and the money involved, right? Like, if you know, if we do go to trial, this is what you can expect. This is how much we're going to spend. Um, you know, we spend it. You know, obviously, it's an expense we carry towards uh, any recovery that gets reimbursed. And um, this, you know, no one can. You know, if you're trying to predict a forecast six months from now in San Antonio, good luck. Correct. Um, and so with a jury, you just, you don't know who's going to be sitting in that box. Right. And ultimately, I think the first thing that's important to consider is that uh, you're going to have 12 people and you're not going to have any control of who they are. I mean, we do a board iron, so we get to, right. you know, we get to question them and make sure we get the 12 most impartial people in there. But they're going to have the fate of, of, of your case in their hands. And that's, you've got to be sure that that's what you want to do, right? right? And so understanding the importance uh, and the magnitude of this. Um, 
and, and, but it's in terms of the negotiating and how that works, I mean, it's no different than, than probably where, or what you guys do on your end, where you've got the parties that start on opposite ends yep. and, uh, you, uh, you know, you give and take, right. You give and take until someone isn't willing to give anymore. Right. Right. And at that point when they're not willing to give anymore, um, I can, we can usually definitively tell the client, you know, based on where they're at and where you would be, um, I think it is or isn't in your best interest to, to go to trial. Right. You know, and, um, you know, and it's all about leverage. I mean, I think, you know, um, there are things that you can do as a lawyer that you should do that, uh, for insurance companies, they're about one thing and one thing only exposure. Mm -hmm. That's it. Right. And you don't create enough exposure by just filing a lawsuit. They're, they're, I mean, these companies are worth billions of dollars. Right. Um, Filing a lawsuit in and of itself doesn't create the exposure. It's what you do after the lawsuit is filed along the way that creates exposure for them. Did you hire experts? Are you willing to, uh, you know, is your law firm willing to invest in the case? Are you taking depositions? Are you lining all of that up? Are you putting a damages model together, right, on some cases? Um, so, you know, I think, um, you know, and, and, and do you have a track record of walking away and, doing what you say you're going to do and going to court. Right. So, but, uh, but yeah, it's certainly a challenge for clients and it's, it's, it's always a challenge too, because it's like you said earlier, it's, it's an emotional experience. Right. So when you hear about an insurance company talking about your injury in terms of dollars and cents and right. trying to, you know, nickel and dime you right. literally, um, that creates another level of trauma and emotion that, yeah, we have to deal with. Yeah. But you explain to them, look, you know, that, I mean, um, at the end of the day, you just got to do what's best for you, you know, and that's what we're there for. And, uh, and seeing through that, right. Taking the emotion out of that decision and making the decision that's best for you or your family right. is what you want to do. Interesting, man. I want to take us to our, our last narrative kind of guiding us through the importance of justice, kind of the, the effects that it has on society, right. When people are watching the news, for instance, and they see that, you know, somebody gets off, um, I think that has an effect, right? Protests happen, things happen in the world. And, um, and ultimately there, there are repercussions to, you know, injustice or justice being served. What do you, what do you, what, what's your kind of philosophy on that, man? How do you, how do you go through that? As it ties into what I do for a living? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's accountability is, is, is key. You have to have accountability in any society, Right. And we're very fortunate that we live in a country where there are laws that allow someone making minimum wage to take on a corporate uh, entity worth billions of dollars, right? If they've been wronged, you've still got to prove it, but you can do that. The ability to do that is, is great. Now, what, what my, my point of view, you know, um, when we start to take away the ability of people to do that, then, you know, we're going in, in the wrong direction. Um, you know, I mean, Seventh Amendment, our Constitution, the right to a trial by jury um, is important. I mean, there's people who fought and died for that, you know. And unfortunately, what we've seen, you know, I think I, I, I read there was a editorial Chamber of Commerce stuff uh, local that uh, was talking about this trucking bill and why we needed it and, um, and that commercial vehicle bill. 
you know, um, there were some things said in there that I really, really, really took offense to because I think it's just a, a, a gross mischaracterization of what's really going on, you know, in, 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 in our society. Everybody thinks, everybody wants to cut back their rights until it affects them, right? And I cannot tell you how many clients who, who have sat across from me, across the desk, and told me, I was the one, I used to think this was just a bunch of people, you know, waiting for a lottery ticket. I understand now. Mm-hmm. And until it touches you, until it affects you, and I hope it never happens to anyone listening out there, obviously, right? You, I mean, this is the, one of the things I, usually how I meet people is in a time of loss. But you prevent that from happening, right? You, you reduce the chances of that happening. It'll never, you're never going to stop motor vehicle crashes with 18-wheelers or commercial trucks or, or anything else, right? You're never going to prevent that. But you reduce that by having in place a system of accountability for the drivers and the companies of these people who are hurting people, right? If they know they have to be accountable to something, right, they're going to have systems and processes in place to prevent that from happening, right? And it's not always going to work. But, you know, what you don't want to do is create a system that insulates and protects wrongdoers um, because if, if there's no exposure there, you're, unfortunately, you're going to see the, I mean, you see a lot of this stuff with like, when was that? When I was a kid, I think it was the documentary. Maybe it was when my kid I was in high school, the, the, the McDonald's hot coffee documentary. <laughs> yeah. Remember that? Yeah. You know, um, and, um, when I would, when I would, uh, do Vorda. I don't do it as much because it's been some time, but the, the McDonald's case, um, when you ask juries what they think about when you have a personal injury case and they're sitting there and, and guaranteed McDonald's hot coffee, mm-hmm. right? No one really knows anything about the case. All they know is a lady got a million bucks for spilling coffee on her lap and they think that's it, yep. right? They don't look underneath the hood. And if you did, you would realize she suffered third-degree burns right. and had to have skin grafts. Right. And then McDonald's knew that this was going to happen at some point. Right. But they made a decision to value profits over people, right? And I'm not, I mean, and this isn't just, I'm not aiming this at just McDonald's, but my point is, is that there are stereotypes uh, out there. And um, unfortunately, plaintiffs are stereotyped a lot. I think it's it's dangerous. Um, we're, we're kind of in a dangerous place if, you know, you ask people what what they think the problem, what problems that exist out in society, inevitably you're going to have some people say, oh, you know, jury verdicts run away. And, and some of this that marketing you talked about earlier, mm-hmm. right? How does that hurt us? Right. To me, it's not like a business thing that hurts me. It's the perception right. that hurts me. Um, because I can tell you, you know, if you saw some of the stuff I've seen over the last couple of years, some of the crashes I've seen over the road, you've seen some of the mangled cars, bodies, uh, you know, and I'm not just trying to be dramatic, but it's there. There's people who've lost people and who are losing people and who are going to lose people. If we don't have a system of accountability in place, um, you know, I, I, I'm gonna, it's, it's tough for me as a driver to be out there when I'm driving from point A to point B with my family. Right. Can you draw a little attention? Can, can you expand on what bill it is you're talking about? That one? There was a, uh, it's actually going to be a law in September uh, that, 
created a, it was a big point of contention in the legislature on uh, so it got passed it got passed uh, it got passed now it's not as it's not it's not as bad as I, it was originally written um, but it limits you know what we can do as far as discovery when I say discovery I mean inquiry into a company and their their hiring policies and uh, driver uh, some of uh, other issues that they've they've because he, here's the thing. A lot of times when uh, on, on the trucking cases and the commercial motor, ve- motor, motor vehicle cases, right, you're looking at a crash occurs, who is negligent, who's at fault, that's it. That's all you need to know. It's, it's, it's actually a lot more than that, right? right? There's a, a pattern that goes into it. Right. A lot of these crashes that happen don't just happen in the blink of an eye. They started three or four years before with a pattern of poor training, poor supervision, things that could, those things can be prevented. Right. And so it just makes it harder for us to get into that. Um, I won't get too deep into the weeds, but the, the, there's uh, things at the, at the trial level where they have to have a bifurcated trial with punitive damages. Uh, it, it does some other things as well. Um, Are they still limiting discovery in that sense? Uh, for punities, no. For not for punitive damages, but the reality is, most cases. I mean, we when we try the cases, punitive damages are, are tough because uh, they can get taken away pretty easily. Um, but uh, but that's that's the thing. And like I said, it's not as as bad as it, it could have been. But I think you know, it, we're going in the wrong direction for that. You know, um, at the end of the day, people. If it is a jury verdict, people that are deciding that are citizens, right? These aren't personal injury lawyers. These aren't insurance adjusters or insurance defense lawyers. Ultimately, it is people sitting in the jury box who make that final determination. And if what you're telling me is we should limit the information that they have when they make a decision, that says something. Right. Yeah, it's closely relative to a lot of things I've discovered. Well, and part of, the, part of the problem we get into, and this is in government, they always over-legislate. Always. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, every single, right? I mean, they, they take the... the the, the, the top example, right, of the most egregious action and they legislate towards the egregious action as opposed to legislating towards the, you know, 80% of what goes on. They legislate to that 20%. And what it does is it harms 80%. And they do it both ways, right? right. I mean, I represent companies. So we find ourselves, you know, sometimes dealing with laws that limit us that go too far for even guys that are trying to do, or females that are trying to do the right thing. And, and again, you know, what's interesting in the state of Texas, I guess, is where's that curve going to go, right? Does it continue to slowly go this way or will it start to bend back towards the 80%? I don't know. In a variety of matters, not just this one, but in a variety of legislation we see out there. I agree. I, I, and I don't mean to sound when I talk about uh, companies or insurance companies that are in companies that um, all of them are bad because that's not true. Right. You know, I just happen to deal with the ones that aren't good, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And, and, and so, um, but you got to have a system in place to incentivize that. Right. And when you take away the exposure, then you're, and you're right. And the, the, the cases that get attention, because every, I don't care what you do, right. Whether you're a lawyer, you're a doctor, you're in marketing, you're in advertising, create creative agents, whatever you do, you're going to have bad apples in the bunch. Yep. It's life. Right. And uh, when the focus starts being, those bad apples, then you're going to create a system of just bad laws because you're right. assuming everyone else is like that. They're not, you right. know. Um, so the same thing with cases. You know, do they have some cases they can use and throw up there for shock value? Sure. Yeah. You know, 
But um, what about the other 80%? What about the 90% that, that are the, the, the real, what's really happening out there? Right. You know? Well, and I'm sure you've got cases too. I mean, insurance is necessary, right? It's how we can allocate risk. And so I'm sure you've got some cases, right, on the other end of the spectrum where somebody's gotten hurt, you come to the table, everybody says, yep, we're going to take care of this thing, and people get restitution and move on with their lives, right? Businesses right. move on, the insurance company goes to the next one on the list, and you know, the, your, your client goes on, right. But, but you don't talk about those either. Right. 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 You talk about the ones that are million, I mean, the million dollars or the, those, again, that upper 20%. So it's a challenge, right? It's perception challenge, even for the business community that the business community and plaintiff's attorneys are enemies. Right. Some of them might be, but they're insurance defense attorneys, right? Right. But, but the business community and the personal engineer injury bar are not at war by any means. No, 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 not at all. They're a necessary you know, that 80% oh. is necessary to keep us all on the right path. I, exactly. No, I, and, and uh, I, you know, there are cases where, you know, you, you know, our, our bigger results have truly been for, for traumatic loss. Right. You know, and you, you, you've got to have the ability to do that. Right. Um, and on the flip side, yeah, I mean, there's that, that 20%, maybe 10% that we talk about as the extreme examples, but they're on both ends of the spectrum. Right. Yeah. I've seen, you know, we get calls from folks who, were misled about what they thought they, they were going to, they were going to do the insurance company. Right. And they signed a release. Right. You know? oh, How don't fair get me is wrong. that? Right. Yeah. You yeah. Know? No, I get and, it. And um, you don't, but again, they don't, they don't hear those stories. So you're right. I mean, the, the, you know, hopefully that bend occurs towards the 80% and not towards the polar One extremes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm a big proponent of that. And, in and lots of different things is that there's, we need to look more at, 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 at what the reality is of, uh, in life and what's going on then focus on the extremes yeah interesting point um i like to finalize the uh podcast always george is uh we understand we have a younger audience that's always listening um in terms of you know where you've been and where where you're headed what type of advice would you give to that younger person who's whether you know making a decision to go into law or just start their own business what what things have you learned that you could kind of give perspective in Sure. Uh, and I can speak to both. I mean, because, um, you know, first, I think as a lawyer, right, early on, I, I recognized that I wanted to be a lawyer and everyone has their own reasons for that calling. I think, first of all, ask yourself, is that is it tr truly what you feel as a calling? And and if it is, uh, do it. You know, um, I didn't grow up around lawyers. I didn't have I was the first in my family to go to college. And I think um you know, you've just got to have, if you're ambitious and you have that drive, um, you, there's no reason you can't do it. Um, there, you know, there, there's, um, the field of law, uh, is changing every day. You know, uh, what it looks like now is not what it's going to look like in 20 years, but the common denominator between now and then is going to be, you need people with law licenses that are genuinely good human beings. Um, and you know, to me, that that is what's most important, and, and 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 I can say that about people that I have on on cases. Like you said earlier, they're not my enemies, right? right. We I often say we work together, you know. Um, but if you have you know good human beings uh, who are who are just you know want to do good work, then then do it. Um, it's a journey. It's a process. You know, one of the things that you know I think made it uh, difficult for me not difficult is the right word, but. Uh, sort of more foreign to me than, than maybe some of my other colleagues who, who had, you know, those resources and, and you lawyers and, or parents were lawyers was, um, not understanding 
what, what was going to be needed for me, the importance of the financial aspect of it as well. You know, I had, I graduated law school with a ton of student debt that was like paralyzing student debt, you know, and, and there's things you can do to start preparing for that. Now, if, if law school is in your plan, fortunately, you know, I got into a position where, you know, I could wipe that out, but you know, there's still people that I know that haven't, you know? And, um, so I think, you know, uh, if you, if you know, you want to be a lawyer, you want to get into law, um, put yourself in those situations to see what we really do, right? Internships, clerkships, um, you know, see what the nitty gritty really is. Cause what you see on TV isn't, isn't what it's, it's not that, you know, there are parts of it that can be that, but, but, you know, dealing with people, humans, I mean, for me, what prepared me for what I do now wasn't really the three years I spent at UT. It was part of it, but it was working, um, at Blockbuster at the front desk, you know, dealing with customers, right. Or working at a music store, selling phones. I sold phones in college. You know, um, I did that for four years and sunglasses, watches, and then phones. Um, but learning how to talk to people is, is the skill that serves me best. And so if you want to go into law school, even though you can't, maybe you're not, you know, maybe you're in high school, maybe you're in junior high, maybe you're in, in college right now. What you can do is just start doing more of that, you know? Um, yeah. And so, you know, starting your own business, that's a, that's a great question because I mean, just cause you want to be a lawyer doesn't mean necessarily you want to start your own business. And, uh, for me, um, it took a lot more for me to do that than to be a lawyer, to be honest with you, like more courage for me to do that than to be a lawyer. Uh, I think it's something I always knew I wanted to do, but 10 years in, I will say it's the best decision I ever made. Um, it is my passion, my pride. I mean, taking, uh, it, it's such a, it, it's a, a journey in growth, right? Um, I would say though that uh, patience is key. It is about the truly about the journey and not the destination, right? I'm not, I'm not there. I don't ever think of myself of being there. I'm still trying to get there. And for me, what, what keeps me going uh, is knowing like I'm still trying to do it. I'm still trying to do it. I never want to feel like I did it. You know, and that's not just with running my business or, or with, with a lawyer. I never, complacency is an enemy. Um, so I never want to feel complacent. I, but I think understanding for me, the hardest part was that failure is a possibility. That's okay. You know, um, you don't, you know, uh, I, I, I think, uh, you know, one, one, I heard someone describe it this way. Is it's, it's like a game, you know, the other team's going to put up some points. You're not trying to keep them scoreless, right? You're just trying to win. And the same thing for a business. It's not going to be perfect. There are days when I get home, um, the weeks where it's like, man, I miss just being a lawyer. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I understand. Um, but, but you ask me, you know, is it worth it? Absolutely. You know, I think one of the greatest, you know, the thing that I'm most proud of as a business owner, and I think maybe people out there listening who are, who have started businesses maybe can relate to isn't like one single result, one single case. I'm very much proud of some of that, but it's the concept of having built a team that's in place that I can trust, right? That are like extensions of me mm-hmm. um, out there when, because um, I think that that was one of the things like letting go of control was hard for me, right? I wanted to be involved in everything. I couldn't, and then so finally, learning to do that. Um, but I mean, I think the concept of, of being, being okay with failure, being realizing that's okay and having the courage, uh, to just do it and, 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 and not be afraid of 
of that. I mean, I, I certainly think that, uh, you know, I, I think it's the old Japanese proverb that goes, uh, fall down eight times, get up nine, you know, that, that applies. So, um, you know, in, in, at the end of the day, the ambition, the hunger, the drive, if you've got those things, you're, you're going to make it right. If you understand that it's a, it's a journey, it's a process and you enjoy the process, you're going to make it. Right. That's great stuff. Yeah. I think that's huge, man. I think, uh, I, th- I don't, you know, look, looking back, you got to think of failures as more of lessons, right? The more failures you could kind of stack up, in my opinion, I feel like there's wisdom that comes out of that. There's uh, stamina that comes out of that most than anything. Um, and it ultimately, I mean, yeah, those are inevitable. Can't be afraid of those, man. Yeah, I have a, I have a sign on top of my desk at the office that uh, says uh, success is never owned. Um, it is only rented and the rent is due every day. Yep. You know, that's that concept, yep. right? I never want to be in a place where I'm thinking about, uh, don't get me wrong. I, I'm trying to get better about in, being able to enjoy some of the, the thing like, and, and I'm grateful. I think there's a difference between being grateful for what you've done and what you have than living, living off of it, living in it. Right. right. And where it's stopping you from growing and doing bigger and better things. Um, I know people that where I think that applies. Um, but yeah, the failures are, are part of it. And, uh, I, you know, I, I never truly understood how people could say like, appreciate your failures, but I do now. Right. You know, cause I, 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 you know, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing, uh, if we hadn't had, and that applies to business that applies to life and that applies to just, you know, being a person, right. Being, you know, the failures define you or ma- you can use them to make you a better person and a better business owner, better lawyer, better husband, better father. Right. Well, I certainly appreciate that wisdom and, uh, and you sharing that George, any, uh, last remarks, Matt, before no. we sign it's off. It's good to meet you. Likewise, I know we've, we've, I've heard about you and you've heard about me, but it's yeah, good to put we've a never actually away. met. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, guys. Well, if you're uh, watching, we want to thank George again for coming on the podcast. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button. If you're, uh, likewise, if you're listening on, on Spotify or YouTube, or not, not YouTube, apologize, Spotify or iTunes, make sure you hit subscribe on there. And uh, other than that, George, thanks again for coming on. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. Cool. Thanks, thanks for having me.